19, I chose verse 22. Being cheerful keeps you healthy. Everybody smile. You're just putting minutes on. Keeps you healthy. It, it is a slow death to be gloomy all the time. That's a great, great one. Um, sometimes it's worth reading the paraphrase versions because they just bring things right down to earth. Today, what we're going to talk about is um, some plans maybe that you've had, maybe some dreams that you had. The ones I'm talking about where Jesus is, is somewhere in that picture with you. And I'm, I'm not talking about where Jesus fills in this anecdotal place in those dreams. I'm talking about dreams that you've had concerning maybe your, your children or your family or your spouse or your employees, if you're a boss, or your friends or other people, where it, it has to do with you pleasing Jesus. Those are the kind of plans that I'm talking about, those things that are circulated, because maybe for, for some of us, at some, in some of those plans, some of those dreams, maybe some of them have not come to pass. And maybe you've been hurt when you have either heard or experienced no from heaven. When... Uh, when you've been hurt because you, your heart is, is all over it, you feel like it's a good thing, you feel like Jesus should be on board with it, but um, the answer somehow has been no or no, not, not now. Or, and, then, and then maybe even it appears to people around you like you're failing in some area of your life. That can be really hard. And um, so we're going to be, uh, our crash test dummy for the day is going to be King David. He gives us a great example of that happening. He's, he, he makes a, you know, he, he gives us an NF, welcome to the NFL example of um, being told no. By God, and history will show us that after David experiences this, he augurs into the mountainside. He face plants really, really strongly. It's a great face plant. So, um, not that we should enjoy a face plant, but um, better David than me, right? <laughs> better David than you, right? What a bunch of selfish people! I can't believe it. <laughs> Second Samuel is going to talk to us about um, King David and his unfulfilled desire to build a temple. Now, let me give you a little background here, kind of get your little legs up to speed with me on this. Um, God had um, started the nation of Israel through a guy named Abraham. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. They all ended up living in Egypt um, through a whole story of Joseph and so forth. We're not going to go into all that today. And uh, uh, hundreds of year later, years later, about 400 years later, a couple million people find themselves migrating out of Egypt to head towards the promised land. A journey of about four days walk, or 40 days walk, it's not very long, but they ended up taking 40 years to put their toes into the promised land before they even get started. And there's a lot that goes on there. And, and along the way, um, uh, the, the, the Lord um, transfers leadership to different people. And, uh, of course, Moses led them out into the, uh, into the wilderness. But Joshua is chosen by the Lord to lead them into the, the promised land. And Joshua is a bit of a warrior. And, um, he, and then after that, the, people, the, the, the nation of Israel was led by a series of judges, people that were called judges in scriptures, um, several of them named, at least a dozen, actually more than that, but... Um, you know, people with names like Deborah and Gideon and Samson, and there's a lot of stories about them. And then eventually people said, we got to have a king. Everybody else around us has a king. We need a king. God says, you don't want a king. Yeah, yeah, we give us a king. We get, well, he'll tax you. He'll draft your boys. You'll, they'll go to war. You don't want a king. Yeah, yeah, we want a king. Okay, so God says, fine. And he gives him a king. First king is, uh, that he gives is a guy named Saul. Saul was not such a great king. And then uh, after that, David who's going to be our subject today, he became king. And uh, God describes David as a man after God's own heart. And, um, but David was also a warrior. You probably know some David stories. He killed Goliath, and 
Um, that was pretty much just the beginning of him being a warrior. Second uh, Samuel 10 describes one battle, and uh, David it says David and his men killed 700 chariot drivers. Why did I pick that out? Chariots in their day would be kind of like maybe a tank would be today. A chariot was a very, very effective um, um, tool for war, and it wasn't just a chariot by itself, but um, it was hard to stand against a chariot and a horse coming at you and... Um, but another one of the um, Old Testament historical books that describe that exact same battle doesn't mention 700 chariot drivers. It mentions 7,000 men were killed. And so maybe that gives us a ratio. Maybe there were 10, 10, 10 fighting men per chariot. I don't know what the story is there, but a lot of people. And um, so <coughs> the women um, of the nation had written a song about David, and um, it was a real thorn in the side of, of Saul, where basically Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands, right? You probably know that song. Let's sing it right now. No, just kidding. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know the song. I just know the, the, about the song. Okay, so um, David was a man of war, and um, he reigned as king for 33 years. So and that's, that's the backdrop for 2 Samuel 7. It's where we're going to pick this up today. 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Now... When the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king, this is David, said to Nathan the prophet, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar. Now cedar, um, the reason that that's pointed out is that cedar was a very, very precious, high quality, probably the best lumber available, very durable, the most expensive. I mean, he, he has a house much like cedar is today. I mean, if you were going to build a deck out of tree wood, not out of, you know, recycled Coke bottles or milk bottles, right? But actual tree wood, and you wanted it to last, you probably would be interested in cedar, the real cedar, not the stuff called cedar that isn't really cedar, that doesn't, you know, okay. He's talking here the really good stuff. My house is made of the good stuff. And, uh, um, <clears throat> but the Ark of God, which was a symbol, um, it had practical purposes, but it was a symbol of God's presence. In fact, um, at one point, a guy named Yusa touched it because he was trying to keep it from falling and, and God struck him down dead. He said, but David says, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And here David is referring to what's called the tabernacle. Um, when the children of Israel left Egypt and they were traveling um, and, and their journey, early on in their journey, they stopped at, a, at, at the base of this mountain called Mount Sinai. And at the base of that mountain, the Lord gave them the Ten Commandments, and he gave them instructions to build this, this for him, a tabernacle, which was basically a traveling tent. And um, it, was, it wasn't glorious, it wasn't glamorous, but it was portable. It wasn't beautiful, but it was portable. And uh, if, if you think today of around the world, you could probably think of some just spectacular, beautiful cathedrals and churches around the world where people gather and they, and they worship the Lord. Um, but as these people were traveling in that desert for 40 years, the only place to worship Yahweh, the only place to worship Jehovah, God Almighty, you know, was in a traveling tent. And, you know, I think, 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 think that by the time David's making this comment, think about how beat up that thing must have been. You, you, you take it, you put it up. The wind blows, you take it down, you move it, you put it up, down, up, down. I mean, they didn't have the cool telescoping, uh, you know, aluminum rods. These were, I don't know what it was made out of, but every time it was handled, stuff wears out, right? Forty years of using a tent. Think that through for a minute. No matter how high quality the fabrics were, um, there just had to be some stuff. Anyway, David's thinking about that, and 
Um, I'm not quite sure what was motivating his heart, and it's hard to know what's in anybody's heart, but up and down and up and down. And, and so David says, I, I dwell in this beautiful house of cedar, but the ark of God's living in a tent. Verse 3, and Nathan said to the king, go do all that's in your own heart, for the Lord is with you. Go for it. Sure, go ahead. Now, David is the guy who wrote the majority of the book of Psalms. He wrote the majority of that book. Every time we gather together and we sing and worship as a group, we have the capability of drawing upon the words written and penned by David. I mean, he was, had a spectacular gift. Um, I mean, it, 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 there a lot of, we'd, have, we'd been missing a lot of worship songs if it weren't for King David. And he was a great worshiper. He, he was a man after God's own heart. The, the, the longest book in the Bible, the Psalms, is mostly comes from his pen. So I'm thinking, okay, a little straw poll. All in favor of, yeah, okay, this guy's a pretty good king. He's done some great things. Let's let him build a temple. I want to see your hands. Come on. Yeah, I mean, okay, you're going to find out that's the wrong answer, but that's my hands up. Okay? I, I, I mean, I, I think he's the perfect candidate to, to, that was scary, wasn't it? Raising your hand in church. It's going to be okay. Settle down. Deep breath. Okay. But surprise, verse 4. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. Pause for just a second. I got a rabbit trail here for just a minute. Interesting thing that you'll miss when you read the story if you keep your eyes on what's going on with the conversations in the temple is this secondary story going on here that David, to find out God's pleasure, had to go to Nathan. It wasn't like today, where you and I walk and the Holy Spirit is available and will constantly walk with you and will constantly speak with you and constantly navigate through your prayer life with you, and you will constantly have opportunity to know minute by minute the will of the Lord. And um, it wasn't like this then. So David has to go to Nathan, the Lord's prophet, to find out, is this okay? And so Nathan says, yeah, sounds good to me. Go for it. That night, God has a little conversation with Nathan. He says, hey, 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 hey. Wouldn't it have been nice of you to check in here before you gave the king permission? Okay, so that's my editorializing. Verse 3. Go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all, all places where I have moved with all my people, all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. Like they used to always be attacking you. That's, that's from the time that I appointed judges over my people, Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Your enemies are going to stop their attacks and your people are going to know peace, David. This is sounding really good so far. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. So God is telling David, you know, it's time for your peace. I'm going to bless, your, bless you. 
but you can probably feel like there's some bad news coming because yeses tend to come real quickly, right? But noes, they, they require a little bit of backing up and explaining. <laughs> so, okay, so we can feel what's coming for David. Um, verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, after you're dead, David, after you're gone, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So basically, David, it's no. You may not build the temple. Sounds really good. It came packed in with a lot of cotton balls and chocolate brownies. It's all the corners. This is a great thing to hear from the Lord. But the answer is still no. You know the, the corners are the best part of the brownies, right? <laughs> we have a rule at my house, but that's a distraction from what I'm doing right now. Don't think about that. And David did not take this no very well at all. He didn't. You know, for him, you look at all of the high points of his ministry, um, high points, his victories, they're in the past. His, his mainly thing, the good things that have happened for him are in the past. God, God has said to him, you know, that he's, he's giving him peace. But if you look at the next few chapters, David, you know, he, he defeats the, the Moabites, the Edomites, the, the, the Philistines. God told him no about building the temple, so he went back to, to what God had said to him was already finished. Chapter 10, it goes on, he defeats the Ammonites and the Syrians. Chapter 11, it talks about in the spring of the year when kings go out for battle, but David didn't. And uh, then comes that whole adultery thing with Bathsheba. And then if you keep reading about David, he has all kinds of troubles with his kids. He's got, you know, he, I don't know what the deal, that, that whole episode with, with Abnon and Tamar and, and his son Absalom, who basically, if there's a rebellion and a mutiny going on, it, it's, it's, it's terrible. And then Absalom's death, David running for his life, it's a train wreck. It's one continuous train wreck for King David. And he wanted to do something good for God. And God told him no. <laughs> and he just really can't seem to get over it. Now, that's my view. But it's historically what happened. He augurs into the hillside. Then there's this episode where Scripture says that David numbers the people. He does a census. Verse, uh, chapter 24, verse 10. But David's, but here's what happened after he did that. He knew that was wrong. David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people, and David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away your, the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And by, by the way, in case you're wondering, he, the census, what's so sinful about a census? Nothing. But what was going on there was David was numbering the people because the number of people gave him some idea of his resources, of his strength, of what he could lean on, what he could depend on. The plain and simple truth was that group, of, that resource was all heaven provided. His number of people was not his source of strength, and he knew he was in sin. He was counting his riches, so to speak, and, and, and he knew when he was doing it, it was wrong. So this stuff's all going on. And, and so here's what, here's what David is learning. He's learning this thing. Choose sincere acceptance when God says no. Or bitterness will lead to bad behavior and breakdown at every level. You know, sometimes God says no, and the no might, re, might also 
be translated as no, not now. But as far as we know, it's no. And when we get on, you know, God, you need to save my sister. You need, you need to save my business. You need to do this, whatever this is. And, 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 and God, you need to do this thing, and you need to do it now. And, and, and when you get on that thing, you know, and when, when you make that thing, the, you know, my marriage, my child, my, 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 whatever it is, when you make that, that, that God, that thing God, this has to happen, this has to stop, and it has to be now. When you get to that place of demanding God, it, it, it's just not going to end well. It just isn't going to end well. So, I mean, ask yourself this question. Was, was building the temple a good thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good thing. You know, and, and we might want to, to, you know, the thing that we want, we want, we want to do might be a really good thing. And in God's time, it may happen. Or it may not happen in my lifetime. It may happen after that. But when I say, you know, I don't just want it. I, 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 want, I want to make it happen. I, it has to happen through me. God told David no. And David, at this point, has, if you read through the details, you'll find out that he has agreement painted all over his outside. But inside, under the surface, is this, this smoldering rebellion that's just simmering under the surface. It's, it's almost like, um, you know, if you unscrewed David's head and looked down, you'd see this steel rod going down his spine and going into the earth about 84 feet. He was going to decide what was going to be what was going to be. And, um, and even if you are sure that it's God's will, um, you know, David should have surrendered the, the how and the if and the when to God. And David paid a price. He, he paid a lot of price. And, and here's the thing. And he took all of the people around him with him along the way as he was going. Our, our stubborn rebellion doesn't just affect us. It affects everybody with us. Now, you probably understand that in the Bible, First and Second Samuel and First and Second Chronicles and First and Second Kings are historical books, and there's some overlap in them. And you can't always learn everything you want to know about David by just one of them. Sometimes the other will kind of fill in the blanks. And so I'm going to pick this story back up in First Chronicles. So... Here's the thing. David it didn't apparently just go back to war after this no, um, you know, because God had said to him, you know, all your enemies are defeated, and I'm going to give you rest. But apparently he did everything but build the temple. First Chronicles 22 talks about David preparing for, the, for, for building the temple. Uh, verse 6. So then he called for Solomon, his son, and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, my son... I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord, my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you've shed, you've shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. You know. But God, that bloodshed, I was doing that for you. I was leading your people. Come on. I was doing this because you wanted me to do, do all that bloodshed. I think God's going, really? I don't know. That's not in the scripture. So, you know, that's what you get from my imagination. Okay. Anyway, behold, a son, God says, behold, a son who shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest. Your son is going to be a man of rest. I tried to give you rest, 
Your son will be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son. I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. If you go on to chapter 28, David's um, nearing the end here and gives this charge to the, to the nation. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house to, uh, of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the, foot, and for the footstool of our God, and I made preparations for a building. He said, I did everything but build it. And he did. He got the Levites together, the priests together. He got the materials together. And this was not some small project that he took on, um, this temple built by Solomon. Um, studies tell us that it took over 183,000 men seven years to build a temple. Some estimates would put it um, in today's dollars at somewhere in the neighborhood of $6 billion to build. This was a pretty opulent and special building. There were 22 tons of gold used just for the Holy of Holies. And there were places that it was constructed out of nails that were pure gold. Now, if you know your gold, pure gold is soft. I'm not quite sure, sure, sure how good a nail that would make. But it would make it pretty cool. Yeah, it'd be pretty awesome. But uh, anyway, you know, this, this, this was something, and it was just a big deal. And God chose somebody else. God chose Solomon. Not his father, David, you know, who's a worshiper to build it. Have you ever felt a little bit like David? You're trying to do a good thing, and somehow it's no. And maybe it's not a direct no. Maybe it's just the roadblocks that it seems like heaven is just not letting it happen. You know, I just felt if I could get my business up and running, we could maybe just take care of our family. We could provide for our kids. Maybe we could fix some things. Maybe we could, you know, be available to give a little bit more to help buy food for needy people and not be so mouth, you know, month to month. And, you know, I, I want my children to, to not have to learn the hard lessons that I had to learn the hard way. I, I don't want my kids to have to go through the things that I went through in life. Or, or I, want my, I want my kids to get the education that I never got. I was doing what you told me to do, God, when, and now you say no? Come on. <laughs> I'm not telling you to take on that attitude, but it's authentic. It's down in my, it's been down in my heart before. It's probably been down in your heart too. I know you're way more submitted to than I am. <laughs> and then what doesn't help is when that's going on and you look around and everything that you see around you is so different than what you had hoped would be at this time and in this stage. And, and if I can be just you know, really transparent with you, which I, apparently I can, um, I'm kind of with David on this. You know? I mean, he should have been able to build the temple. He, after all, he, you know, he, he, he wrote all those you know, wonderful songs. He, he defeated all the enemies. He did an awful lot of heavy lifting as the king of Israel. And it sure would have been a better capstone on his, you know, the description of his career than all this adultery and failure and betrayal and, you know, all the heartbreak and stuff. And I'm not saying that's on God. That's all on David. But surely this guy had worked hard enough to earn something different um, in this, these last few chapters. But then, but when he, when, but after that, no happens. It seems, at least to me, as I read these stories, that things just go sideways for him after God told him, no, he can't build the temple. I was... Um, 
as I was preparing for this, I just was kind of thinking about this, and I ended up going on C-SPAN online. You can go on C-SPAN, and you can still see. Uh, you don't need to do this, but for some reason, I decided to, to re-watch Billy Graham's memorial service. Um, you know, I should be watching Buddy the Elf or something. It's Christmas time. But um, <laughs> don't worry, I, I'll get that in, too. But... Um, you know, I, I was watching the, the memorial service. It's, 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 you still can. And um, Palm and Circumstance, it was at this, is at the Billy Graham Library. I don't know where any of this, this is, but it's this big, huge building, open, open air, and there's a big barn behind it and all this stuff. It's pretty, pretty nicely taken care of. And um, this, this episode on there that shows all these people sitting, and I had read earlier that it started at noon, and it was like full at 8.30 in the morning with dignitaries who wanted to be at this. I mean, not just polit politicians, but um, pastors and pe you know, people from around the world that just wanted to be there. And so there was a lot of people pressing in, and it was crowded, and you know, pomp and circumstance, the president and the vice president were there, and all this stuff going on. You know, can you imagine the pomp and circumstance for, with that kind of a guest list? And, but that wasn't what the thing was th 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 that stunned me was... Um, once it got started, um, great music and all that kind of stuff, but um, his grandchildren got up and talked. They each got three minutes. They went over. But they had three minutes, and his children got up and talked. And the legacy, the things this man stood for and the things that he enforced and the things that he led, um, <laughs> I watched that, and um, I, I started thinking, this is Terry, man. Have I done anything for the Lord? I mean, I mean, I know I serve the Lord, and I know you serve the Lord, but I look at Billy Graham, and I think, wow. Because we have the Holy Spirit, and we've got the Word of God, and we've got the gifts that the Lord's given us. There's a guy named um, D.L. Moody, and he gets quoted for saying this. The world has yet to see what God can do through a, a person who is fully yielded to him. And, and, you know, Moody set out to be that person. I don't know that he made that. I don't, I don't know that any person could say, well, I've achieved it. But if I was going to nominate somebody on that list, Billy Graham would be pretty high up my list of people that, that really was yielded to the Lord and made a big difference. And I would be, I would be really surprised <laughs> if when I think this through, you know, when I, when I think this through for me and for us or whatever, uh, I'd be really surprised if there aren't some unaccomplished dreams in your heart just like there are in mine, you know? How does God see all this, you know? What's his sense of, of, of what I have done, what you've done, versus what we could have done? Okay, back to David. First Chronicles 29, verse 28. Then David, he died at a good age. And then we pick up in um, Second Chronicles chapter 6. Then Solomon said, the Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. By the way, that is a reference to a promise that God made that he said he would live in the cloud, and, and he lived in that cloud above the tabernacle, and there's a reason for that. The, 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 the glory of the Lord is so powerful and overwhelming, you can't see it without dying. So God contained himself inside of a cloud. It was an absolute act of love. God's basically said, hey, I can live in a cloud. I don't need much. Don't fuss over me. Something, there's some, that's a Terry paraphrase. Um, verse 2, but I have built you, God, um, an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. 
Then the king turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel. This is Solomon talking. While all the assembly of Israel stood, and he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hand has fulfilled what he promised with, with his mouth to David, my father, saying, Since the day that I brought my people out of the land of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house, that my name might be there. And I chose no man as prince over my people Israel. But I have chosen Jerusalem that my name may be there. David, by the way, was the one who conquered Jerusalem, and he was the one who reigned there for 33 years. And I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. Verse 7, now it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. Okay, so now here we're landing. This is it, what comes up next. Second Chronicles 6, 8. What's God think about all the things that I wanted to do that he has not, that he has not allowed me to do? Second Chronicles 6, 8. But the Lord said to my father David, whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. And 1 Kings 8.18 says the exact same thing. Because it was in your heart to build a temple to my name, you did well that it was in your heart. This is an unbelievable verse. This is, this is, this, it teaches us something about God's economy. Righteous aspirations are credited to us as accomplishments by God. That doesn't mean that God gave him credit for building the temple. This is different. It's good. It's good. Righteous aspirations are credited to us as accomplishments. Years earlier, when God was sending Samuel to anoint this very, very same man to become king, God explains how he thinks about these kinds of things. Because Samuel was figuring, oh, this big, tall, strapping son of Jesse, he's got to be the one. And he went through the list, and you can see it. And pretty soon, they're out of boys, and none of them are the one. And he'd been expecting the big, strapping, Heisman Trophy-winning NFL quarterback dominating Tom Brady of the crowd. Oh, excuse me, Russell Wilson of the crowd. <laughs> um, but God says, oh, no, 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 no. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Righteous aspirations are credited as accomplishments. Here's the thing. God had a purpose for the temple, but God never needed the temple. <laughs> Acts 17 tells us that. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Verse 26, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Take that one home and read that again a couple times a day. Acts 17, 24 to 28. The, the temple that God will always say yes for you to build is the temple you build in your own heart for him. Why? Because God is all about shaping us to be more like his son Christ. That's, God is all about that. Some of the things that you long to see happen in your children, but they haven't happened yet, 
some of the things that, that you've longed to do for maybe for God in ministry, but you haven't seen that happen, God sees your heart. God knows your desires. Righteous aspirations are credited to us as accomplishments. So I want to just for a second um, break that down because I, I was careful to include the word righteous aspirations. God sees what's in my heart because is everything in my heart righteous? No. You know, and here's the check. Verse 8, because it was in your heart to build a temple to my name. Not just aspirations, but righteous aspirations. You know, why do you want to do what you want? Why do you want to do it? And the delay in receiving, you know, what, what, what it is that I long to do and accomplish, that, that delay is, is purifying my motivation. Sometimes God is, is, is for a season saying no, so I can get to the place where I want it for the right reasons. Not to us, O oh Lord, but to your name be glory forever. However, sometimes even when my motive has been purified, even when I want that person's salvation for the right reasons, or I want that, per, that ministry opportunity for the right reasons, or I want this relationship restored for the right reasons, or, or I want whatever that obvious good thing is to happen for the right reasons, sometimes God says no. No. Not now. Not, not, not you. Not through you. Not yet. Righteous desire. Righteous aspirations are credited to us as accomplishment. If you're not convinced of that, let's, let's look at it again, verse 8. Because it was in your heart to build a temple to my name, you did well. Did well. Did well. What are the words that you want to hear um, when you go to meet the king? You know, well done, enter into my rest. Done well. It's the same, that is the same phrase, same thing. In, God, in God's heart, Righteous things desired by me for the right reasons are credited to me as accomplishments. Translate that like this. You are not your performance. You're not your resume. Despite worldly perspective, you're not the sum total of all of the boxes that you've checked off. You're not what humans have applauded you for. You are who God says you are. You're not... What your boss says, you're not, what your performance says, you're not even necessarily what your past says. You're who God says. And in God's economy, righteous aspirations are accredited to me as accomplishments. Well done. You want the right things for the right reasons, and when God says no, or at least no, not yet, that changes everything. I, I don't have to hang my head because... She's not walking with the Lord yet or because the business isn't self-supporting yet or because that thing that I long for, you fill in the blank. Change your thinking. Change, let your, your view be adjusted and let your views come into submission to the word of God and God's view. Phil Robertson, Duck Dynasty, Phil Robertson. Um, he sent out, and I, I get these letters from him. I have no idea how come I get them, but I enjoy them. <laughs> They're great. They're profound usually. But he recently sent a letter out, and um, th this last one just said this. It said, God has been placing himself in your way your entire life so that you would reach out and find him. The good news is that he isn't far from any of us, but the most important thing, the reward for finding him, is that once we do, we have purpose that defeats the threat of death. Once we bow down before the creator of the cosmos, we live in him, move in him, and have our being in him. In other words, he becomes our identity. I'm going to pray in just a minute, but I wonder if he's not, if the Lord is not speaking into some of our hearts.
about us that maybe you knew the right thing or you know the right thing, but you chose the wrong thing. But the Lord would say, if that's you, if he's saying this to some of us today, that if you return to me, I'll make it like you didn't waste any of those years. What a great promise. Lord, let's pray. Thank you, Lord. I think it's good, Lord, that we are led by you to ask ourselves, why do I want this? What are my motives? Are they righteous? Purify my, my heart, Lord, for your fame, for, for the greatness of your name alone, Lord. Let that be my motive. Thank you that in the purifying of my motives, Lord, that you see my heart and you declare that in your economy, righteous aspirations are credited to me as accomplishments. Lord, speak to the disappointments that we've carried unnecessarily. Faith is one of those most challenging things. It's easy for us to be full of faith when we're doing really well. But when we really need faith is when we're down. Help us, Lord, to grow in maturity in that, placing our trust in you, not so much in numbering the people. Thank you for it, in Jesus' name. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.